Well, good morning. I am James. I am one of the pastors here. We are super glad whether you're here in the room with us physically or you're watching online or watching later. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Um, before I get started, I'm getting dizzy spells. So if you see me randomly sit down, <laughs> that's why. Uh, and if you're a nurse and I look like I'm glazing over, feel free to run up here. Um, so uh, we have been going through a series called With talking about the various relationships in our lives, the uh, relational stages in our lives, if you will. And uh, I have the pleasure of talking about singleness, um, which when I first found out I was talking about singleness was, I'll say, a little daunting, um, because I think it's one of the more difficult stages for us to process through. Um, and before you tune me out entirely, because I'm wearing a ring on my finger, <laughs> Um, I'm 36. I got married when I was 34. Um, and so I realized that some of you have been single for much longer or are much older than me or whatever else, but I did have a good chunk of singleness in my life. Um, and I can absolutely relate to the experiences and feelings of being single and the ways that that sort of plays out in our life. Um, and so I am hoping to share some of the things that the Lord has taught me at the same time, share some of the things that the Lord is teaching through his word. So let's, uh, Let's just pray real quick, and uh, we'll get into it. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here, to be investigating your word, um, to be learning from you. I know that um, though I might have a lot to say, I don't have anything of value apart from you. That if something is not of you, it is not going to be beneficial. And so, Lord, I ask, would you speak to us clearly? Um, would you speak through me and even keep me quiet? Lord, I know that this is a difficult topic for some for a lot of different reasons. And I know that you care about that. And so I pray, Lord, would you teach us and would you help us to experience your nearness and your love? In Christ, name we pray. Amen. I would like to start off by arguing that, uh, that's a weird way to start say that. I'd like to start off by arguing. Who wants to come up here? Um, I'd like to start off by expressing that I think that uh, singleness might be more difficult now than it has been in the past. And I'm not going to try to divide, you know, which century was hardest or whatever else. But here's why I say that. Um, Pastor Chad actually sent me an article this week that was so fitting for this. Um, because the, basically the article, it was from the Gospel Coalition, if you're familiar with them. Um, and the author was essentially making the argument that we are as a general populace, um, losing the capacity to have middle ring relationships. And so if that makes no sense to you, let me explain. Um, we have kind of our very distant relationships, those people we kind of recognize the face of, might say hi to, that's about the extent of it. We have our very close relationships. If we're married, maybe that's our husband or wife, or um, maybe a brother or sister, maybe you have a best friend. The middle ring is in between the two. Okay, so this might be coworkers, small group people, uh, people that you just run into on a daily basis, neighbors, whatever else. And the author of this article was arguing that that middle ring is falling apart. And he gave, I would say, two primary reasons, if I can attempt to paraphrase. It was a really long article, but it was really good, so well worth looking up. Um, but he gave kind of two primary reasons. The first one, and probably the most obvious, is covid um, we just have to acknowledge, I know that's a swear word to some of you, I'm sorry. But um, 
COVID has had an effect on our capacity for middle ring relationships. There's no way around it. We're keeping ourselves apart, <laughs> literally. Um, and it, it, has, it has factored into um, our capacity for that. But I would say, and I think the author was probably getting at that the bigger issue is actually social media. And here's why. Social media, as probably most of us have heard at some point in time, creates this kind of echo chamber around us, right? We hear the things that we agree with. We don't hear the things we don't agree with. If we do hear something we don't agree with, then there becomes this whole thing. You might type out an angry comment you shouldn't have written, that kind of thing. Uh, what, what is sort of psychologically happening to people because of that is we are losing the capacity for tolerance of opinions other than our own. And that's a really dangerous thing, right? Now, don't misunderstand me saying that we should agree with opinions other than our own, right? If we're standing up for, for our faith in Christ, for example, and someone says, I'm an atheist, I'm not saying agree with them, but having the capacity to still relationship with that person while disagreeing on this subject, maybe not even needing to always talk about that particular sore spot, is what we are starting to lose. And because we are losing that capacity, those middle ring relationships start falling apart because generally the middle ring relationships, you disagree with people on things, right? Anybody ever notice they disagree with people? Right? Like it's, it's just automatic, right? It's like you're, you're going to have opinions different from other people's opinions, right? And as we sort of get into this isolation stage as a society, we also start to believe that it's unacceptable for people to think differently than us. That that should not be tolerated and I shouldn't even be in relationship with you. Or if I'm going to be in relationship with you, it's only to argue with you. Right? This has created this incredible fracture of relationship that has led to loneliness for a lot of people, whether you're married or single. More than ever, people are experiencing this, this painful loneliness. And I, I, would, I would argue that it's not normative. It's, it's not what things have always been. Not only that, but you could add a whole bunch of other things. Like we're kind of losing the ability to communicate with people we don't really know, right? Like it's much easier to be online and, you know, whatever. We, we use cell phones to escape conversation. There's lots of things you could add in here. But whatever you want to trigger as the cause, the reality is that middle ring relationships are disappearing. And it is creating a real difficult position, especially for those who don't have the close relationships or who are single, right? Not only that, but our society has some screwy things that they believe about marriage and relationships. And we'll get more into that a little bit later, but what I want to do is jump into 1 Corinthians 7. And this passage was the one that immediately came to mind when I was told that I was going to be talking about singleness in, because it's, it's the one that most clearly addresses singleness, okay? Um, but one thing that I want to encourage us to do is to really spend some time allowing the con context of what he's saying to hit us, because it's really easy to read this as empty platitudes, statements, right? Kind of the same platitude statements that we, in, in genuine care for one another, try to give one another as like a, to make you feel better about being single or whatever else, right? Kind of get this like, sort of this empty handed, like, oh, don't worry, there's more fish in the sea or whatever the thing is, you know? Uh, and it's easy to read this in that same kind of light, but let's, let's let it sit a little bit as we go through it. So 
<clears throat> excuse me, the first, <coughs> excuse me, the first five verses of this passage are specifically talking to married people, and that's not my topic, so I'm going to skip over them. Well worth a read, especially if you haven't read the Bible uh, much before, because you'll be surprised by what the Bible tells you, and you might want to read some more of the Bible. Uh, and if you didn't get that, you need to read the first five verses. <laughs> so, um, verse number six, though, says this. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am. Okay, Paul is the one writing this. Paul is single. Okay, that's what he's talking about when he says this. And let's not confuse this with Paul being bitter, right? This is not like the single person who sees relationships and like, I wish there weren't any relationships, right? Because <laughs> you single people do that, right? <laughs> I remember doing that really clearly. <laughs> There's those moments where like, I don't want to see another relationship. Like, I'm done with it. This is not what Paul's doing. Paul is not being bitter towards relationships. Paul is being sincere towards people who aren't in singleness saying, I wish you knew what it was like. I wish you could experience what I'm experiencing. And if as a single person that twists your mind a little bit, let's, let's go on. He says, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another. Like, did Paul just call singleness a gift? He sure did. That, that might really be a mind-bending thought, right? To, to, for, for some of us, because for some of us, singleness is a curse, right? Not a gift, right? And for some of us married people, we treat single people like they've been cursed, right? Like, oh, we got to fix this for you, right? But Paul flips that totally upside down and, and says, no, no, no. I wish everyone could experience what I get to experience in singleness because I have a gift from God in singleness, It's a pretty crazy thing. It breaks my brain as I think about it. And Paul's not exaggerating here. He's not just saying words to say words, right? He's not just kind of throwing out empty platitudes. Oh, don't worry, it's a gift. You'll love it, right? He, he really means this. He's trying to convince people who actually have an opportunity for marriage that they should choose singleness, that that's the better thing. And you have to remember that this is in a, in a society where marriage is the norm, right? You don't have this enormous pool of single people like we do now, right? You have, to, you have to kind of put yourself in the shoes of Paul as he's writing this. Almost everybody had engagements, right? Their parents arranged relationships for them. Nearly everybody was engaged at this point in time or married. Now, you get into widows and divorces and stuff. That's a different category, but all the, those younger people that we, right now, we have a huge population of single young, younger people. That was not a thing, in fact, in some cases, there were certain laws in Rome requiring marriage. Now, I didn't look into those laws because I'm not that interested, but they exist. So he is saying to a group of people who are used to and it's normative for everyone to get married, and they're in uh, betrothal arrangements now, singleness is better. You should consider it. Isn't that, isn't that mind-bending? It is to me. So married people, don't treat your single people like they need fixing. Paul says it's a gift. If anything, you're the ones that are missing out. Crazy thought. So verse 8, he says, To the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good, it is good for them to remain single as I am. 
But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than burn with passion. Can you believe this? Paul, Paul is almost using, he doesn't say this, but it's almost like, we'll get married if you have to. Right? This is, this is an incredible perspective on singleness. And this is where we need to talk about how we've been hugely deceived by our culture. So I want you just to, for a moment, think about the last handful of movies you've seen. There's a good chance that at least one, if not all of them, have a relationship story in them, right? Or TV shows, books, songs. Our culture is obsessed with relationships, right? It's obsessive. It's to the point where if you, if you like step back and look at it, it's like, this is weird. This is a lot of relationship stuff happening in our culture, right? Our culture emphasizes relationships in such a way that it becomes the most important thing in a lot of people's lives. There are a great number of single people who that is the one thing they focus on more than anything else. I need a relationship. That's why we get serial dating situations happening, right? We've been deceived by culture that, that relationship is like the end all be all, right? Like if I could just get into the perfect relationship and get married happily ever after. All my needs satisfied, never lonely again. Ask a married person if that's how it works. And when marriage is taught, it's, it's taught in this way that perverts it, right? It's not this, I'm going to marry this person for the rest of my life thing. It's this, oh, I'm going to marry this person because I'm in love with them. But if I fall out of love, I'm going to get out of that right? There's a reality that you might not even need to be married. I mean, really, what's the point of marriage? You can just live together without being married, right? There's this, this uncomfortable reality that our culture is loudly preaching to us that singleness should be handled a way that the Bible doesn't describe. It's really, really powerful, too. Think about Disney, up until a few years ago, every movie, every movie was about, uh, you know, princess, prince, marriage, yay, everybody lives happily ever after. But then they got kind of woke and now we're doing, doing different things. I just said woke during a sermon. I can't believe I pulled that off. Um, nobody booed. Um, so, you know, Disney does this, rom-coms do this, it's, it's, it's all over. It is so saturated. This picture of, if only I can get into the perfect relationship, my life will be better. My life will be solved. And really, I want to say first, marriage is a blessing. Before any of the married people feel like I'm like poo-pooing marriage, right? I love being married to my wife. I'm very grateful to be married to my wife. It is a gift also. It is a gift also. But singleness, Paul says, is the better thing. And marriage isn't your savior. Jesus is. We have a tendency to look at life as like, well, I could do blank. I could be blank if only fill in the relationship. 
a lot of times in singleness, and again, I, this is coming from personal experience, not picking on single people. This is a personal experience. We have this attitude that life doesn't really begin until I get married. That I'm really just kind of, I'm waiting. I'm sitting here just trying to see what's going to happen, right? I need to find that person. Where is she, right? And the reality is that Jesus said that he has come that we may have life and have it abundantly. Not that we may have life and it'll be abundant once we're married, right? We have access to abundant life here and now, not later, not dependent on any particular thing because Jesus is our savior, not relationship, not marriage. Jesus is our treasure. Jesus is the one that fulfills the needs that we have. And let me tell you, if you're not getting them satisfied in Jesus now, you're not going to be satisfied in them later. Don't make marriage into an idol. Don't put your living, your, your life on hold for that thing. Don't miss the life that Jesus has for you right now. Now, this doesn't mean we can't desire marriage because I, I don't want to swing too far the other way where people are like, oh, I'm in trouble, right? It's okay to desire marriage, right? God designed it. It's a gift. It's okay to desire marriage. We just want to desire it in the, in the way that we say, I would like this, but I'm content with whatever you give me. There's a difference between that and I would like this and I'm going to dig my heels in and make it work, right? We want to have him at the center and, and we want to live for now, not for later. That's where contentment comes from. And by the way, this is not just to the single people. <laughs> you know, married people, we, we also struggle with this just in other ways, right? Just other things. It's, it's maybe not the marriage, or maybe it is the marriage. If only my marriage was blank, healthy, good, we liked each other more, whatever. Same thing. Jesus needs to be at the center. It's okay to have those desires. It's okay to pray those things. But we trust in Jesus to do what needs to be done, and we are content with what's happening now. And here's another cool gift that goes along with this singleness marriage thing, the church. A lot of us are missing out on this gift, which is why we're also struggling with the other gift. See, the church is one of the most incredible established things that Jesus could have given us. When Jesus talked about the church, what he said was, you will be known by your love for one another. That's a crazy statement if you think about it. Literally what Jesus is saying is people know you were Christians because of the way you interact with one another. They'll look from a distance and go, they must be Christians. Right? And it might be weird to them. They may not understand that we care about each other that way. They may not be able to comprehend how to do that or whatever else. But, but them looking from just the outside, looking in, someone walks into the room and looks around at us and wow, these must be Christians. Not just because they're sitting in front of a guy talking. Because of the way they're interacting, the way they love each other. See, our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ are one of the most fulfilling ways for us to have whole community in our lives. Marriage alone, relationships alone, will not satisfy your need for relationship with people. You need the bride of Christ. You need to be engaged with people here in your body. It's so important. I can't even begin to emphasize it. We have an incredible opportunity in brothers and sisters in Christ. It's crazy. I mean, imagine how the rest of the world would think about this. If, if you could tell someone, hey, I know of a place you could go 
where every person there will treat you with kindness and love and sacrifice for you. They'll serve you from, from beginning to end. They'll make sure your needs are fulfilled. They'll care about you genuinely. Like, can you imagine how people are like, what? Like, are these people insane? Right? But that's the reality of the church. That's the way we interact with one another and care for one another and love one another. When you look at the Acts church, man, those guys had this down to a science, right? They were just throwing all their money and resources into the pot. I don't need it. You need it? Okay, here's some money. You know, borrow my card for the next week? Go ahead. Oh, you don't have a place to sleep? Come on over. That's, that's how invested they were. They were literally selling fields and bringing the money to the disciples, being like, here, do whatever you want with this. Whatever people need, take care of them. I don't want anybody hungry on my watch. That's the kind of love that Jesus is instituting in the church. That's the kind of care and commitment and relationship that we can have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. God has carefully arranged and ordained that no one should be alone. No one should be alone, married or single, because of that body. That whether you're single or married, we have an incredible family relationship, much the same as all relationships will be in heaven. So seek out that body of believers. Seek out small group. Seek out discipleship relationships. Seek out ministries. Seek out serving opportunities. Seek out the guy that lives two doors down that's a Christian. <laughs> Seek out those opportunities. They probably are not going to just land in your lap. It's probably going to require effort. Might require a lot of effort. But wow, is it worth it? especially if you're sensing that loneliness inside of yourself. Let's keep going. Verse 17 says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove this, the marks of circumcision. Sorry if this is a little weird, but I'm going to explain this. Um, so, in Roman culture, when they would work out or they would, you know, compete or whatever else, they do it naked. Um, and I know that's weird for us, but it was normal for them, right? And so uh, what was happening was there were, there were Christians who used to be Jews, had become Christians, who were being mocked by other people, Romans. They were being made fun of for their circumcision. And so in order to sort of climb that social ladder and be accepted, they actually had created a surgery to hide the fact that they had been circumcised. So that's what Paul is saying here. He's, he's saying, hey, don't, don't go to this incredible effort to, to change your status. Just be. Just be as you are, right? He continues. He says, was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. Same problem flipped around. The Jews who were Christians were judging the Gentiles who were Christians because they weren't circumcised. And so again, they would get circumcised so they could fit in and have the status and all that kind of thing. You might start to see a pattern forming here. Each one should remain in the, I'm sorry, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition that he was called. Were you a bondservant when you were called? By the way, bondservant is not really the same as what we picture as a slave. Bondservant is a person who has indentured themselves into service to either because they were broke or because they were trying to move up the social ladder. 
So you could actually uh, go to a really influential person, indenture yourself to them and receive status just being the bond servant of that influential person. In fact, some bond servants had higher ranking than people in the society who, weren't, who were never a bond servant. And what's more, after you worked for seven years, you could usually get freed from your bond service and then that person would be your patron and you would have certain extra privileges and you would also be considered a freedman, which gave you rights as a Roman citizen. So they were putting themselves in the position of becoming bond servants so that in seven years they could get released from being a bond servant and have all the status and, you know, possibly wealth, etc. And so he says, hey, if you're currently a bond, if you put yourself into bond servantness, <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't, don't freak out about it. You don't have to figure out how you're going to get out of it and all that stuff. And he mentions this. He says, you know, if you gain, uh, if you have an opportunity for your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Go ahead and, and accept that, that free opportunity. Just don't worry about it, right? For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when, uh, when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. He's saying this because he doesn't want people climbing the social ladder, trying to change their circumstances by enslaving themselves to somebody else. So brothers, whatever, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. And there's your key phrase. Remain with God. This is a crazy idea from Paul. He's saying, stop trying to work your way up to whatever. Whatever it is, money, fame, influence, marriage. Stop working after it. Remain with God. God's put you here. God is sovereign. God knows what he's doing. Remain here with God. Let him work out the details. If he wants to raise your influence, he's going to raise your influence. He wants to raise your wealth, he's going to raise your wealth, etc. So this is not to be confused with, oh, well, then I can't ever date or anything like that, right? That's, that's not the concept being taught here. It's that, again, the heart of it, right? The situation going on inside of me. Am I desperate for relationships? Am I like seeking out, okay, maybe her, him, you know, whatever? Or am I just kind of like, okay, I'm here. This is where the Lord's got me. I'm good. And if he puts something in front of me and obviously is saying, hey, this is something I want you to pursue, then I'll pursue it. Total difference in heart there. Verse 25, now concerning the betrothed, now again, remember society where people's uh, relationships are prearranged. So these would not be people who were dating and then got engaged. These are betrothals set up by parents. People who are uh, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Whenever you see Paul say, I have no commandment from the Lord, don't confuse that with Paul saying, I have no authority. That's not what he's saying. These comments are still scripture. What he is saying is Jesus himself did not speak on this for me to repeat it. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit inspired advice. Okay, don't confuse that with like, well, this is just kind of my opinion. Take it or leave it. That's, that's not what he's getting at here. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Now let's, let's talk real quick about the present distress. Uh, when 1 Corinthians was written, written uh, the Corinthians, Corinth, were uh, in the middle of a really bad famine. Um, and to the point where people were dying. It was a really bad struggle. And some, some scholars think some other things were going on at the same time. It was a rough situation. A lot of people were thinking that this might be the return of Christ. This, because from their perspective in their area, 
everything was going horribly wrong. So like, this might be the return of Christ, you know, and they, they, there was a lot going on. There was rioting and, you know, all kinds of stuff that was dangerous and, you know, people fighting over food and all that kind of thing. So it was a pretty intense situation. And so Paul says, in light of what's going on here, here's what I'm going to say. I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to wife? Don't seek to be free. He says that first, because it'd be really easy from the next part to, to think he, you should bail on your relationship. Uh, are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Now, the reason he's saying this in super practical terms, what happens when two people pre the, you know, like 1900s, what, what happens when two people get married? What's the next thing? Baby, right? They have no way to prevent a baby. Can you imagine having a baby in this state, right? Where there's famine going on, people freaking out, you can't feed the baby, the whole nine yards. It makes a lot of sense to not get married right now, right? And he says, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you of that. Here's a fun activity. Find a married couple you know and ask them if they have worldly troubles. If anybody can bring back a report that they said, oh no, everything's great. I would love to hear about that. And then I'd like to meet them. Um, there's just a reality to it, right? This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Now, just clarifying here, that does not mean pretend like you're not married. That's not what he's saying. That could get you in all kinds of trouble. It's not what he's talking about. Keep reading. He says, and those who rejoice as those who were not rejoicing and those who buy as though they had no goods and those who deal with the world as though they, were ha they had no dealings with the world. And he's going to explain what he means here by saying, for the present form of this world is passing away. Okay? You want the biggest picture of why Paul can look at singleness and say it's a gift and it's good? Because the present form of this world is passing away. In other words, this is not your home. Marriage or singleness, it's not going to be for that long. For all we know, Jesus could return while I'm preaching today. Or as I said in first service, a giant meteor could hit the church. And I was like, why did I say that? <laughs> be a weird prophet, like, like on the internet and then it actually happens. Like, wow, he was a prophet. Um, anyway, uh, we don't know when this, is, when this life is going to end. We don't know when Jesus is going to return or when we're going to die. But it's not going to be that long. Compared to eternity, it's such a short period of time. It's an incredibly short period of time. Past is in a blink. And Paul says, do all the things you do in life. Marriage, not marriage, dealings, you know, buying, selling, whatever. Do it like you're not really doing it. Because this whole thing is going away. Jesus told us really clearly there is no marriage in heaven. We'll have relationships with one another. I'm sure we'll know our spouses in heaven, but we won't be married. Marriage is just a here thing. And you know what we can't take to heaven? Possessions, money, status, any of that. But you know what we can? People. We can take people. And so the question is, how should I be spending my life? This, this is the, the phrase for this, by the way, is eternal perspective. That's the theological phrase, which just means I have a perspective of eternity 
instead of a perspective of here and now. It is so easy to get caught up in the here and now, right? Because we're here and now. It's so easy. And that's why the Bible continuously reminds us, hey, this is passing away. Keep your eyes forward on eternity. So whether you're married or you're single, live like you're not. Put your focus on our Lord Jesus, who deserves the best and most of us, single or married. Let all of our, our attention, our focus, our desires be filtered into him first. This is radical and life-changing. This is not something we do lightly. It's really, really challenging to say, hey, I'm going to flip my whole life upside down and make it about Jesus. But if you think about it, it makes the most sense. Right? That's why Jesus said, store up treasures in heaven. You can't store them here. You can't take them with you. You can store them there. You want to invest in a few short years or eternity? It's kind of a well done when you say it like that, right? So he continues at verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. What a nice thought. But the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And an unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. There is simply a reality that when you are in a relationship, even if you're just dating, right? And then more so when you get into marriage, it divides your interests. It divides your attention. If you ask just about any married person, if they had more time and focus and freedom as a single person, they say, of course. Right? Because when you have a second person and then you add children into the equation, now you're planning around all that. I, I, I can't easily just be like, hey, I, you know what? I, I feel like the Lord's calling me to Florida. I need to go down there for a week and preach the gospel. Right? That would mess my life up. I, I, can't, I can't just you know, stay up late with people that are you know, wanting to hang out and build some relationships with them because my wife would miss me at home. I have to consider her, and then as children enter the picture, I have to consider them. And so there's a simple reality that as a single person, you have so much more capacity. You have so much more capacity. In fact, I, I often, when I have talked to married people, one of the things they'll say is, man, it was a lot easier as a single person to do the, the things of Jesus. It just is. Now, that is not to excuse the married people in the room. Let me clarify. Because he says really clearly, he wants to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord, single or married, right? It's not an excuse. It's just a reality. There's a reality going on here. And we want to absolutely, like he was telling us before, live as though we're not married while we're still living as we're married, right? He continues, he says at verse 36, if anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let him marry. It is no sin. In other words, if two people are engaged and it's, it's clear that they're super attracted to each other and struggling with it, just let them get married. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not a sin, right? But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. 
So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Man, we don't think like that. And to contextualize this a little bit, you could replace this betrothed idea with just simple singleness. Because we don't all have betrothal agreements from our parents, right? But there is just a reality that a person who chooses to to be in singleness, who has their desires under control and has established it in their heart as, yeah, this is something that I want to pursue, that is better. It just is. That's what it says. There's no way around it. So let's look at this a little bit of a different angle. If you're a single person and you're like, this sounds good. (laughs) Like I'm in agreement with you intellectually, maybe, but emotionally, no. Let's talk about some things that you specifically, specifically can do. Here's the first one. Give your desires to the Lord and trust him with a gift that he gives you now. Okay, what I mean by that, it's perfectly okay. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be to tell God, hey, I'd love to be married. I have a desire for that. It's something I'm really excited about. But will you teach me to be content until then? Or will you teach me to be content with whatever you decide? One of the things that I prayed a lot as a single person, I went through about a five-year period where I, I just wasn't dating got rejected a couple times, you know, whole nine yards. That's twice now I've said that in sound recordings. Um, there, was, there was like a good gap of time where I was really wrestling with this exact idea. Lord, will you teach me contentment? Will you allow me to be okay with where I'm at right now? See, as human beings, we have this incredible desire to plan the rest of our future out right? We just want everything figured out. I need to know when I'm going to be married and how many kids. There'll be three of them, John, Susan, and okay, anyway. I couldn't think of a third name. How sad is that? We want to have everything all figured out, right? And we get so locked on the future that we miss what's happening right now, what God is giving us now, right? Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough troubles of its own. Don't double them up. Set your eyes on what I'm giving you today. Where are you at right now? Instead of worrying about how am I going to get to the relationship I want, worry about, God, what do you want with me right now? What do you want with me in my singleness, in this gift, in this period of time, whether this is my whole life or just for a little bit, what do you want right now? Will you teach me how to be content in this and teach me how to do the things you want to do? And to be honest, I always think of it like this. I think this is the perfect picture, right? Doing ministry with God is, is we often think like, oh, I'm serving the Lord and doing so much. He doesn't need us. Okay. <laughs> That's the reality. It's a lot like a three-year-old helping their dad work on the car. Okay. Not really helpful. Slows it way down. Right. <laughs> but why does the dad do it? He wants to include the child in the things that are happening. He wants to empower the child. He wants to be with the child encourage them. He wants, he just wants to have them there and being a part of what he's doing, right? And that's how it is with us and God. He does not need us to do anything. He does not need us to do squat. He chooses to offer the opportunity to do things with him, to be involved in the ministry he's doing, to affect lives, to invite people into his kingdom. 
We get to to be the representation of his gospel for other people. And if we are so focused on the next thing, by the way, this is single or married. We're so focused on the next thing and what we really want to have happen, we will miss those opportunities. They'll go right past us. And we'll look back and go, shoot. Because I have. There's so many things I wish I had done with my singleness but I spent a lot of my singleness worrying about getting married. Second thing, develop friendships in the body. Serve and love your brothers and sisters. Get involved. Use that extra freedom, right? Understand what a gift it is to have those friendships. I've talked to so many people, so many married people who look back. Kirsten and I were talking about this. So many married people who look back and go, man, I had such great friendships when I was single and it is so hard to get friendships now. And again, not an excuse for the married people. You should do this too. <laughs> but there is a, a really cool reality that when we're single, man, we can have incredible, incredible relationships. Which, by the way, is what God wants. It's what he wants us doing. Encouraging each other, building each other up, pursuing people outside the church with the gospel. I mean, that's what he wants us doing, right? And, and married people, you should push yourselves for this too. You know, there's a little bit of a reality that each stage of life, we look back on the previous stage of life and be like, wow, I thought I was busy and I totally wasn't, right? And uh, so fun news, Kirsten and I have a baby coming in July. Yep. Yes, we, we did so much for that. So uh, the fun thing about this is that um, is that I know right now, I'm like, oh man, I'm so busy. And I know how stupid that is, <laughs> right? Like I know I'm gonna have a baby and it's gonna be a whole nother layer of busy, right? And so there is this just reality that each stage that we step into, we get, it gets harder, it gets more busy. And we really have to be intentional to carve out the time to be in relationship with the body. It is so important for our health. It is so important for our spiritual health, our mental health, even our physical health. There's lots of studies on that. Number three, people actually need you where you're at. God has work for you. And again, a lot of times when we're single, we get so fixated on the thing that's going to fix my feelings and whatever else that we miss the incredible work God has for us now. Start looking for that instead of the relationship. Don't make marriage into an idol. Don't make it, it your savior. Instead, Set your eyes on your actual Savior and see what he wants you to do. And then number four, I know this is hard. And if this is hard for you, if you look at this and go, yeah, that's great, but I, this is not landing. Get discipled. Get discipled by someone who understands this. Because there's a total difference between me standing up here and giving you some information that the Bible says and, you know, speaking truth to you and then you getting to have that applied one-on-one -on -one with someone on an ongoing basis. This is not an overnight change, right? You're not going to walk out of here and just be like, wow, I feel so much better about being single. I don't need a marriage. What was I thinking? Right? Like that's, it's just not how it's going to work, right? This is going to take some time and some energy and probably someone pouring into you and reminding you of the truths of God, reminding you of what a gift this actually is not to miss it, right? Because you'll probably need that reminder later today, right? See something on Facebook or whatever? Man, are we in comparison mode with social media? 
So get some help. Get some discipleship. And if you would like to talk to me about this, I would love to have those conversations, right? I, I'm not the expert on singleness, but there were a, I had a lot of experiences. I learned a lot of things. I did eventually reach contentment uh, where I was ready to not be married. And I was like, I think this is actually the better thing. I want to stick with this. And that's when God's like, okay, we're going to have you marry Kirsten. <laughs> Okay, whatever. <laughs> and again, by the way, that's not prescriptive. So many people do this to single people. Don't tell people, oh, you just need to be content and then God will give you the relationship. No one is ever going to get content like that. <laughs> like think about the backwards thinking there. It's like, oh, just content, get content so you can be uncontent, right? Like doesn't work. Don't, don't give them that advice. That's terrible advice. So I just want to invite you to come talk to me. I totally, totally feel for how hard this stage of life can be, right? And for, and for some people, it's not just a stage. It, it's, a, it's a lifelong thing, but it is a gift. That's not a mistake that Paul said that. It is the better thing. It's not a mistake that Paul said that. Doesn't necessarily mean it's the gift for you, but don't see it as a curse. See it as a blessing because for however long it lasts, it is a gift to you. So let's wrap this up. I'll invite the worship team to come on up. Whether you are married or single, here's the bottom line from this. Live a life that puts God ahead of all things. Now, I know that's a big statement. To put God at the top. Put my treasuring of Jesus ahead of my treasuring of relationships or money or whatever. This is the life we're called to as believers. To seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added. To treasure him before anything else. To see him as the greatest answer to all my problems. To see him as the one thing I actually really need. When you become convinced that there's something you need in life, relationship, money, whatever the thing is, stop yourself right there. Say, no, what I need is Jesus. That's what I need. Everything else are wants. And it's certainly okay to present those to God. It's certainly okay to ask for those things but stay in the place of contentment with what Jesus has assigned to you now. Remain with God in whatever place and stage of life you're in instead of seeking so badly to get out of it. Let him show you what he wants to do with your life right here, right now. And ask him to help you grow in that. I pray on a regular basis that God will teach me to love him It'll teach me to treasure Jesus more than anything else. It'll teach me not to create idols in my heart. Right? I need help. I need help doing that. And so I ask him all the time, please do that in me. It's not natural. It's spiritual. Let him decide the order of your life be content in whatever that is. Trust him because he has a good plan for your life. It's not necessarily your good plan. He has a good plan for you. He cares about you so much so that he sent his son to die for you. Is he going to short you on any good thing for you? No. 
He's going to give you exactly what is best for you, whatever that is. So be content in trusting him in it. Trust him. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of marriage and the blessing that it is. And we thank you, Lord, for the gift of singleness and the blessing that it is. I know, Lord, that singleness is tough at times, especially when it's hard to get that eternal perspective going. I remember so many times flip-flopping back and forth between being content and struggling and being content and struggling. Lord, I am so grateful for the number of years you put me in singleness. I learned so much during that time that I think I could have only learned because of being single. You were wise beyond wisdom to, to put me where you put me. And so, Lord, I thank you for the place that each of us is in now, the stage of life, the relationships, job, whatever. I thank you that we don't have to be constantly seeking, constantly chasing, constantly wanting. Instead, we can rest content in knowing that you are superintending over every detail of our lives. Doesn't mean we don't take opportunities as you give them or follow instruction from you, but we don't have to ache over things. We don't have to chase after things. We can remain content in you. I'm just reminded of Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, would you help us to remain steadfast in that peace? What a way to live. And Lord, as we remain in that peace, would you help us to grow closer to one another? Would you help us to pursue relationship with one another like maybe we've never done before? Would we become connected to your body in a way that we are surprised by? Would we delight in the relationships we can have through your people? Would you satisfy that feeling of loneliness and need for relationship and companionship through your people? Would you help us to walk in your ways and trust in you? We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.